Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters, episode 851 for today, Thursday, the 15th of February, 2024. I'm your host, Connor, joined by Josh and Bo. Thanks very much, gents. Today, we're going to be discussing UK politics, having a normal one, because we're just a hotbed of ethnic grievance these days for some reason. Uh, TFL's humiliating new overground names. Dunking on Sadiq Khan's always going to be a bit of fun. And Lewis Hamilton showing us that idiocracy has now become real life. Um, if you notice us sweating at any point, it's because it's boiling in here. So please excuse our red faces. It is also February, which is very strange to be this warm in February, isn't it? It's meant to be the coldest month of the year in Britain, and it's very much not. Yeah, we're English. We're going to grumble about the weather. I mean, get used to it. It's part of the national character. Before we jump in, we do have a couple of announcements. First of all, of course, Lads Hour has been moved to the Friday because today is Calvin's Common Sense Crusade. If you haven't signed up yet, go watch that. Uh, We've got Lads Hour tomorrow. We've got a special guest. It'll be announced on Twitter, Uh, but we're doing meme politics. I believe that Callum's hosting that one. So tune in, three o'clock. We've also got an announcement on behalf of some of the friends of the show. Um, Matt Goodwin and Constantine Kissin are debating Aaron Bastani and Polly Toynbee at the Emmanuel Centre. I believe this is on the 18th of March on Is Immigration Good for Britain? And we've been asked to shill it because if Navarra Media are shilling it and the audience is all going to be a bunch of leftists, it's going to be really terrible if they sit there and cheer for more immigration. So it would be good for us to go down and um, persuade them. Uh, Carl and I are going to be there, so you might end up saying hello if you buy a ticket. So link will be in the description on the website. Uh, Without further ado, let's jump into today's stories. So UK politics having an absolute normal one. There are two by-elections today, as we're aware. It's uh, Willingborough and Kingswood. Kingswood. I always get the two mixed up. There's also an upcoming by-election happening in Rochdale, who obviously have the stain of being one of the epicenters of the grooming gangs, and they haven't quite expunged that stain with their new candidate. But before we get into that, we are pleased to announce that Calvin Robinson has joined us. My good friend from GB News is now doing his Common Sense Crusade over on lotuseaters.com from three o'clock every Thursday afternoon. And to celebrate his launch, we are running a promo code, 50% off a gold tier subscription for the first three months. That's for new and existing subscribers. All you have to do is use the code CRUSADE when you sign up. And you can also send Calvin your video comments if you are a gold tier subscriber. Just make sure to start them with Dear Father Calvin for his fatherly advice segment so that we know the difference between that and the podcast. So go sign up, get excited, and if you're watching live now, tune in in about two hours. Right, so to the by-elections in question. So these are the Wellingborough and Kingswood ones. So Wellingborough is being run by Ben Habib of Reform UK, who you have spoken to. Fantastic interview here. Uh, Ben is very much on our side. Uh, If there's ever going to be a future leader of the Reform Party who isn't Nigel Farage, I certainly think it's Ben, and you did a great job as a fellow Reform candidate interviewing him, so go and watch that, everyone. But just some details on the by-elections. Of course, if you are in Wellingborough and you're watching this, what are you doing? Go out and vote for Ben. Um, The Wellingborough by-election was triggered by the deselection of Peter Bone MP, who was a Conservative MP, who was deselected, like many Conservative MPs, over a alleged, alleged sex scandal. The sex scandal in question, again, with many Conservative MPs, involved a young man. So he was kicked out after a parliamentary inquiry found that he had exposed himself to a male staff member who was trapped with him in a hotel room in Madrid. Very upstanding. Very good. So he then met the threshold for a recall by his local constituents. Can I something super quick on that? Please do. So Peter Bone was, at least, you know, a fairly important MP. He's a staunch Brexiteer. He was one He's of just, their sort of quintessential backbench MPs that would try and pull the Tory party to the right. Yeah, yeah. And fairly likeable as well, from what I recall. Like, if you'd stand up and ask a question or something, he wasn't sort of immediately obnoxious or anything. I remember him having some strange um, stuff on COVID, but that is because he oh, was he? near the end of his life. So oh, I've, I've forgotten that or never knew that. 
but just, you know, in the general sweep of Tory MPs, some are more likable than others, right? Uh, certainly from our side of the aisle, right. more right-leaning. It's like picking your favourite disease, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, your favourite bacterial infection. Malaria. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's a, a bit of a shame. Or maybe it's not, maybe it's for the best that he was exposed. He did say alleged, so I actually don't know. I'm genuinely asking this. Mm. It, like, was it proven or...? He disputes it. Right. Party say that they found him guilty for it. So I'm saying alleged because there has not been a criminal complaint and he's not been put through the courts. That was the, the next party thing I was going to ask. Right. Yes, okay. yes. Right. But again, with the Tory party, even the accusation, many such cases. We now had Crispin Blunt. We just had Andrew Rosendell acquitted after mm. how many years of a, a rape allegation. So this is just something that sort of plagued the post-2010 Conservative government. Yeah. Not doesn't look good, at least. And this is one of the compounding factors of why the Conservatives are currently losing the election, as well as repeatedly betraying us on Brexit and immigration. It's all sorts of sleaze, isn't it? I mean, I remember it'd be a bit before your times when I was a little kid, but during the John, Major years. The, the John Major years, it was just a constant thing that sleaze was attached to. Blair and Brown would always love to hark back to it, like the sleazy Tory party. But to be fair, it's across all parties, I think. It just seems odd to me that public officials would be so sleazy. It's, it's like, apart from your actual day job, the only other thing you have to do is not be, like, you know, a, a sex criminal or, well, or well, a criminal of any people, people drawn... I know what you're about yeah, to say. Yeah, going to presage it. it. But yeah, people who are drawn to power aren't very typical of the general population. That's a fair point. And it's that true. most people don't want to go into politics because of all of the, the negative stuff that's associated with it. You know, everyone hates you. Uh, you're, you're assaulted from all sides. You don't get given any credit, even if you do a good job. And so most people are put off by that fact. And you've got to be very interested in power and very sort of self-assured to want to do it in the first place. You're more likely, if you're in politics and media, going to have dark tried personality traits because you're going to mm. be more focused on yourself. You're more drawn to power. You're more drawn to sex and wealth as an outgrowth of that power. So, And we're not saying that this is a reflection of Peter Bone's character, just a general sense of the sleaze, for example. Mm. So something sleazy about this, the Conservatives appointed his girlfriend as his replacement candidate. <laughs> now, if you were going to try and not look sleazy and try and win the seat, you wouldn't pick the alleged sex pest girlfriend as the guy to replace him. So just to be clear on that, was he married, Peter? Bowen? Yes. He used to so always... Also um, cheated on his wife. Oh, is that what happened, was it? Yes. With the person that's now standing for the yes. top... Not good. That's how you avoid sleaze, isn't it? Yeah. You're, were you going to refer to who used to talk about Mrs. Bone? Yeah, all the time. Whenever he announced a, a question in Parliament, he would, he'd always say, oh, Mrs. Bone would like to know. Yeah. Well, Helen Harrison, who was a councillor and is now the MP candidate, wasn't Mrs. Bone. So he got himself into a bit of trouble there as well. The Kingswood by-election is actually because Chris Skidmore MP stepped down over the government's net zero policy. Now, the Chris Skidmore MP was the guy who signed the net zero by 2050 pledge into law under Theresa May's government. And the reason I mention this, I was on a panel with him two years ago at Tory party conference, basically debating him, because I'd written a, a policy paper saying the government's spaffing away money on net zero policies and they shouldn't do this. And they helped shape the nuclear financing bill, which is the only different bit of energy tech we should be investing in. And Chris Skidmore was asked a question, oh, how did you change the net zero by 2050 mandate? How did you revise it down? And he just said, we just changed the law. And I looked at him and said, you didn't cost it. And he looked at me like I, I just sort of like slapped him with a towel or something. He was very, very bemused that he would not waste all of our money. So glad he's gone. Another wet bites the dust. Uh, so go vote reform if you're in Wellingborough. Go vote reform if you're in Kingswood. Because at the moment, the Tory candidates they're putting up are, are blooming useless. Uh, I just want to say, actually, thanks for saying that. Because you are a member of the Tory party. Yes. 
but you're just saying what you honestly think is the oh, best yeah. for these. So I appreciate that. I, 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 I am a results-based man, and I know there are certain Tory MPs, basically Miriam Cates, uh, who deserve <laughs> to keep their seat. Other than that, the Conservative Party has committed complete suicide. It's going to go extinct in the next uh, election, and you'd be hard-pressed to say that it doesn't deserve it. I, I hope you're elected in South Swindon over the Tory candidate, obviously. So I just wish reform as a floating voter a little bit more forthright. But I know all I know is I'm voting Bo. That's that's all that matters to me. <laughs> Vote Bo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not Swindon resident. I endorse the message. Anyway, so uh, this is quite interesting on Kingswood. The Tories seem to be thinking the same thing as me because none of them are visiting Kingswood. So I've got a friend that lives in the constituency in in Bristol, and she said that the the Tory um, leaflets didn't start. Labour started early, reform started early. The Tory leaflets only refer to the fact that the Labour candidate was living in Lewisham for quite a long time and has moved back to Kingswood to contest it. Because he was from there, he was the mayor of Lewisham. Why Lewisham needs a mayor, Lord only knows. And he's now been bussed in to do this. Uh, analysis by Mail Online shows that fewer than a dozen Tory MPs has actually visited the place. And they've got a list just down here. So that's Sajid Javid, not someone you want campaigning for. You're standing in there on the next election anyway. Uh, and Jacob Rees-Mogg's one of them, as well as Lee Anderson and Robert Jenrick. Now, Lee Anderson and Robert Jenrick have been compromised in times, but they've at least voted along with our side of the fence and behind closed doors, having met, spoken with the people that work them and the MPs themselves. Um, they are on our line of thinking. They're just hamstrung by the uh, party apparatus. The reason I mention Rees-Mogg is because Rees-Mogg is getting redistricted. Rees-Mogg has become a bit of a linchpin behind the scenes of forces that would like to drag the Tory party more rightwards than it currently is. And his seat is under threat because the Kingswood seat that's probably going to flip Labour is going to be divided into two and half of it is going to be hitched to his North Somerset seat. So people are going to say with Rees Mogg, is he going to get a Michael Portillo moment? For mm. those who don't mm. realise, Michael Portillo was once touted as a future leader of the Tory party. And because of redistricting in 1997, he was kicked out of his seat. So it's and not... for being thoroughly unlikable. Well, <laughs> well, you say that, but he's done quite well on television since. No, no, now he's. I quite like Portillo now, but back then he, right. he was like a really smarmy. He was like a Tory boy cliche or something. But back then he he was thoroughly unlikable. I can't say anything. About but now that. he's actually quite like. Well, I actually quite like him now. Um, he's I don't very like different. his uh, he's turned wardrobe around, these days. Very bright. Oh, he does dress like a Batman villain, yeah. He does, yeah. Yeah, but he's, he's, he's likeable enough. But Well, he's also out now, isn't he? <laughs> That's well, true, he, he, yeah. Oh, is he? he oh, did, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tory party, many such cases. I mean, there you go. wear like a pink blazer, you know, come on. Uh, <laughs> but again, back when he was Tory in government. Tory party members, maybe. <laughs> back when he was in government and stuff, he wasn't out. Right. Um, so he's grown into himself, I think, Cotillo. Yep. Anyway, anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, no, but, but, but point being, I think it's very interesting that even sort of very well-established figures, you know, primetime GB News hosts entrenched in the Tory party, seeing both sides of the fence, is a Brexiteer, Jacob Rees-Mogg, even he could go extinct in the next election. So again, this is a, a seismic defeat the Tories could be facing, and it's not impossible that Ben Habib wins today. Again, very much hope he does. So um, these are the, the general election polls. So this is going to be symptomatic of these by-elections, the future of the election. Currently, Labour are polling at 44%, the Tories at 25%. Reforms ticked up to about 10%. I've seen the polling as high as 12 which encouraging, particularly to nudge the Tory party to the right. And I think a lot of MPs are seeing the writing on the wall here because I think there are well over 55 MPs now that are announced they're not standing at the next election. 
That's mad. I mean, the, yeah. That's mad. I've never heard any. I've never known anything like that. There are five more in the next month, right? So the, the last few that just announced is Mike Freer, who we've already covered for stepping down because his office was firebombed by an Islamist, but he blames emails and social media. Coward. Um, Bob Neal, who's from Bromley and Chiselhurst, he's stepping down because his wife has cancer. Quasi Quarteng, the very short-lived chancellor, um, is stepping down because obviously they, they did a coup against him. Ben Wallace was in there. Yes. Cash. Yeah, Bill Cash. There's Bill Cash is retiring because he's quite old. Alok Sharma, the fella who got knighted for being the cop ambassador and crying because they didn't ratify the Paris Accords. What a coward. Uh, Nikki Allen and Tracy Crouch. So just more names rolling through. The death toll keeps me racking up. So why could the Tories be possibly losing? Well, we keep covering the reasons on the podcast, but why aren't they self-correcting ahead of the next election? This man. This man right here. Again, I hate Michael Gove with the burning passion. I, I've made no secret about this. I, I once spoke to one of his advisors. I've told this story before. And he said that Michael Gove is the most conservative member of parliament. Okay. Uh... And he said, Miriam Cates is more national socialist than national conservative. What? So the front bench are calling their own backbenchers Nazis because they're doing some actual conservatism. They're so just not using words correctly. Yeah. They're just <laughs> thick. Thick as concrete. Mike Graham could have grown them. So... Point being, Michael Gove gave this interview to the Times a couple of days ago, and he said, there are record numbers of adults who have never left home or are joining the boomerang generation forced to return to their parents well into their 20s, 30s, and beyond, with the number of first-time buyers falling as young people grapple with the cost of living crisis and sky-high private rent sectors and rising house prices. Gove fears they could turn away from democracy and capitalism if the government doesn't find a way to solve the housing crisis. Gove is leading a campaign to introduce leasehold and rental reforms, and he said, if people think that markets are rigged and democracy isn't listening to them, then you get and this is worrying to me, an increasing number of young people saying, I don't believe in democracy and I don't believe in markets. And you can see that in polling with people saying, I just want to fix this. I'd be prepared to have an authoritarian leader who would just fix this. And that is dangerous. I think he's got it the wrong way around. I don't, you know, democracy is rigged rather than capitalism is rigged. Well, I mean, that, that's, I think that's more common a belief than the other way around. But by who? By who, Michael? Mm. I wonder who messed up the housing market. Do you, do you want to know what I control F for and couldn't find in here? The, immigration. The Thatcher. word immigration. <laughs> yeah, not right. mentioned once. Not once. It's almost like he's just lying to you because they're the ones that raise the level of immigration. But don't worry. Don't notice the effect of demand on housing, you racist. It's just about supply. We're just going to flat pack tower blocks from here to infinity to house all of Africa. Lovely. It is lying by omission yes. to not talk about mass immigration when it comes to sort of a problem with housing, the housing crisis, housing markets. Not mention that you're bringing in net hundreds of thousands of people every year, year on year. That is a liar by omission. That's sort of, sort of exactly what it is. I mean, just look at the man. Um, Tom Watson, I think, who I obviously don't like, called him a pipsqueak of a man. Uh, it's it's there, like... There is a, a photo in here of him being a fundamentally unserious person. I mean, this man <laughs> basically pulls all the strings behind children's TV presenter sort of look there. Yeah, but he's, he's masking himself as bemused while also actively destroying the country. So I've got no time for Michael Gove. It's like a spitting image puppet or something. I don't yeah. know. It's plaster cast face. What he's referring to, by the way, in saying that young people don't like democracy, there was an onward research paper from two years ago. I've referenced this before. And they said that 58 to 66% of voters, 18 to 35, would support, quote, a strong leader who does not have to bother with parliament or elections. And 45 to 59% support, quote, putting the army in charge. <laughs> Based. I spoke about this in trigonometry, actually. It's coming out soon. And I basically won the boys over. They said, well, we can't really argue with you. But we do need a Bekele. The true argument is that it's tyranny by other means, but that clearly didn't come up, did it? <laughs> sure. 
it's it's essentially that everyone realizes that democracy has very few avenues to hold elected leaders to account if they keep saying one thing and then just keep doing another. And both parties have the exact same message. So people are turning to increasingly desperate solutions to change the country being taken away from them. And I'm not shocked. I would say, I would just to uh, play defense on behalf of the concept of democracy. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> it's just to say that, you know, um, there's, there's many, many different flavors of it, aren't there? It's like saying you don't like soup. But it's like, what flavor of soup are you talking about? There can be any number. I don't like Right liquid. now, we, <laughs> we live in a, a flavor of democracy, which isn't very democratic but it doesn't always have to be that way it, it can be you can make of course it. yeah the swiss have a different model of democracy right. than we do, don't they where they have right. lots of referenda and there's a lot more direct democracy about decisions and example, i think that's you better have, you could have a direct democracy or at least something where you have loads and loads of referendums or you could have a type of russian or north korean democracy where there's zero real democracy right so there's it's on a spectrum mm -hmm. right now we're at a not very good Place. I think um, my, my actual objections, sort of mimetics aside, are that it, it puts your rights up for debate uh, uh, to public vote. So a majority can vote to take away you know, your property and, and your money, your life, basically. And if a majority signs off on it, then it's fine. There's no consideration in the current system. The tyranny of, of the majority. Exactly that, yeah. You know, it's, it's been something banded around even in the House of Lords. Um, but I think it was Lord Hallisham in 2011 said much the same thing. I don't even think it's a tyranny majority though, and this is what I think we're going to see by looking at the other by-elections and the current housing policy. I'm going to combine the two. It's the tyranny of a very proactive minority with an entrenched ethnic and religious in-group that act as a clientele class that have been imported by the political class to instantiate them forever. The reason I say that, speaking of housing policy, Oh, I wonder why the Tories are losing. Maybe it's because this is happening. So this is an exclusive from the Daily Mail that happened the other day. Uh, people um, so have just moved, an elderly couple that have just moved to a new home. This is Ho uh, Jose and Ted Saunders, or Josie, sorry, and Ted Saunders, not two blokes. Um, they were insulted and shocked when they received a strongly worded letter from the North Northamptonshire Council. And they'd just moved into their £200,000 house. And the North Northamptonshire Council said that we are going to forcibly buy your home through compulsory purchase to house asylum seekers. So they are going to literally take your homes away to house Tom, Dick and Abdul, who arrived yesterday with no documentation and are probably working in the illegal economy and are never going to economically contribute and commit crimes at much higher rate. Why are we obliged to house a bunch of men from God knows anywhere? Because the Tory party say so. Because diversity is a strength. It's at best our entertainment. Our, our country is so strong right now, isn't it? You know, <laughs> the economy is just doing so well. You know, recession last year. Well, yeah. Africa highest has... amount of immigration in history. <laughs> Africa has all that wealth just spread around, but they're being so generous mm. that they're exporting everywhere. They have a great civilization, don't they? If you notice that diversity isn't a strength. Well, now that's a real problem. Mm. You probably be interred or prosecuted for such a noticing. I'm sure the next Labour government will do exactly that. There's a few more details on this actually in the Telegraph reporting. So the letter had said that the council was seeking a considerable increase in positive immigration decisions being made in favour of asylum seekers, mainly young men, almost exclusively young men, and the authority was struggling to source suitable accommodation for them. It said, the ideal long-term solution would be to provide accommodation by using empty properties that would benefit homeowners and the project. It said the council could not make compulsory purchase orders on this property. So they're saying, oops, we didn't realize you'd moved in because you just moved in. This went out to you by mistake. Are oh, bad. Okay. Yes. 
turfing people out of their homes directly is worse. But why are you giving brand new properties in a housing shortage caused by immigration to immigrants subsidized by the taxpayer? I think that the government trying to requisition property off of you, you know, sure they're offering perhaps something equivalent to the market value, but it's your own taxes back. Yeah, it's absurd that that should be sort of uh, not to get into dangerous ground, but that's why the Second Amendment exists in America is stuff like that. Yes. Yeah, you should be able to defend your own property from confiscation by a bunch of foreign insurgents who broke into the country. They are that's actual sort of criminals. Killdozer territory, in my mind. <laughs> well, well, let's not go there, maybe. Um, <laughs> Council C said that they had to adopt such tactics because of the faster processing of asylum claims by the Home Office. Oh, just kick it up the chain and blame everyone. Yeah, of course, it's never anyone's fault. Just the form got lost somewhere, I'm sure. In terms of trying to acquire more social housing, councils would adopt a variety of measures, one of them being identifying empty properties that they can bring back into use. It comes after the Telegraph revealed on Tuesday, and this is a real corker, the Home Office has quietly built up a stock of 16,000 properties for asylum seekers, despite house shortages. The properties were drawn from the private rental and social housing markets, and they're being used to house more than 58,000 asylum seekers across England, Wales, and Scotland. That's double the 29,000 asylum seekers in the so-called dispersed accommodation a decade ago. So it's doubled within 10 years under whose government? Who's been in charge all that time? Oh, would it be this particular mug? Yeah, it would. Thanks, Michael Gove. Um, so uh, Ben Habib actually met with the couple that were turfed out of their home. Uh, we can play a little bit of this. So this for... letter was from the council, and yeah. you got this on the 12th of January. You moved in in November, didn't you? Yeah. And, and, and you got this letter. And just, just spell out what this letter says. That letter says that they, because the property is derelict, that they can compulsory purchase it. If there's any repairs to be done in it, they could take it off the price of the property. Yeah. And these properties are for migrants. Uh, it's absolutely for. extraordinary, isn't it? And how did you feel when you got a letter? You've moved into your new wonderful home, you settle down, law-abiding citizens, yeah. and you get a compulsory purchase order from the council accusing you of occupying a derelict home. How did you feel when you got this? After paying 200000 for it, we didn't feel very well. No. It must have been one hell of a shock, mustn't yeah. it? Not being funny, you don't get any other politician doing that. Yeah. Absolute credit to Ben there. It's in his constituency. Again, hope he wins because he's the only one calling for net zero migration. So, Tory party going to be absolutely destroyed. Covered that about two weeks ago now. Um, another quick example is Tobias Elwood as well. He had a Palestinian protest show outside his home, about 60 to 80 people in Bournemouth chanting ceasefire and free Palestine. Acts completely confused about the fact this has happened. But then, as since said, someone like as tepid as Liz Truss represents a move to the extreme right. Like this is why in that previous live stream I just mentioned, Carl said they're in like late Soviet levels of denial and, so, and are unable to self-correct. This guy is the perfect example. Right, so what are we going to get instead? I'll finish up on the third by-election that's happening. This uh, is Labour. I'll ask a quick question. Yep. So, sorry, who exactly protested outside Elwood's house? Pro-Palestinian? Uh, yes. So what, has he been pro-Israeli? Yes, he said we need troops on the ground. Okay. He's a member of the 77th Brigade, which is the Cyber Warfare PsyOps Division, and he's also very pro-British troops in Ukraine as well. He's a super warhawk. Right. Okay. Elwood is like okay. one of the most ridiculous neocon establishment Tories. Again, hope he gets absolutely wiped out electorally at the next election. So this is who we're going to get in instead of the next election. Uh, were you familiar with uh, this fella, the, the Rochdale candidate, Azar Ali? So his endorsement was delivered 
in Urdu. So this is this is a bit of context here by Momus uh, Najimi, who's actually a, a native uh, speaker. And this Asfal Khan, he's translated the other candidates' endorsement of him. Um, the, the reason this is interesting is because he says that only 8% of Pakistanis in Pakistan speak Urdu, but the Wilson Labour government in the 60s imported 50,000 of them from Mirpur, which is the Urdu-speaking region, which is particularly tribal and regional. So very low skill, low intelligence, not compatible values, basically crazy Islamists that often marry their cousins. Um, and so that now has created a massive ethnic enclave in Rochdale, the exact kind of people that are perpetrating the grooming gangs, the rape gangs that were targeting white children. Um, and so they have just become an ethnic block that allows candidates like these two to speak their language and say that we're going to vote only in your interests and against English interests and get elected as MPs. Now, call me far right, but I don't think we should be having foreign agitators in an already existing epicenter of child rape uh, campaigning off of their native language against the interest of Brits. Don't, don't think that's very healthy. And it turns out when you have that, this is what you get. Ah. He's been deselected because he said that basically the Jews did a false flag on October the 7th. That, um, so th- th- he, got, he got caught on, on tape, and this was leaked to the Daily Mail. And he said that uh, he blamed, quote, people in the media from certain Jewish quarters for fueling criticism of uh, Labour MP Andy MacDonald, who was, who was kicked out. He was the MP for Middlesbrough. And he said between the river and the sea last year, basically, you know, clear all the Jewish people out of Israel and therefore give it back to the Palestinians. So he got kicked out of the Labour Party because they're trying to reform their reputation of being anti-Semitic, not going so well. Um, He said Israel planned to get rid of Palestinians from Gaza and grab all the land, and he boasted about preventing Israeli flags being flown from public buildings in Rochdale after the October the 7th attacks. So not not great optics for a Labour Party who wants to not be seen as anti-Semitic. Now again, I'm not Jewish, not particularly offended by anti-Semitism. I'm not pro it. I just don't particularly care. Why is this a battle we're having in British politics? Why is Israel v. Palestine affecting any of our local elections? Any of them? Why are any candidates getting deselected over this? It's really embarrassing for the Labour Party as well. It's actually too late to take his name off the ballot as a Labour candidate. So he's running as a Labour candidate, and if he wins, he will immediately have the whip withdrawn. Our involvement ended in 1952. Yeah, should have been. Yeah. Unfortunately, we mass imported all the foreign agitators that care about foreign terrorist groups. So now every single weekend, we've got hundreds of thousands of people marching through the capital city, my home city, calling for intifada. Thanks. Sorry, diversity is a strength, though. So I'm not quite sure what you guys are talking about. I'm sorry. I, I, I must be an ostrich head in the sand. He, he actually retracted his apology and doubled down, apparently, behind closed doors. So he apologized, and the Labour Party still kicked him out. So now he's promoting graphics like this. So Starmer dresses a clown with terrible um, mid-journey editing. He's saying, a strong voice for Palestine. Vote for Rochdale. <laughs> speaking for Palestine. Not, not for English people in Rochdale. Speaking for Palestine. Foreign land. As a local MP. Why is this happening? It is mad that that, that land dispute, that religious dispute, is, spills over into England of all places. I mean, yeah, it's, it's sickening. Yeah. It's sickening that it's happening. But for, from late, Labour's got a real problem, haven't they? On the one hand, got a massive amount of the Muslim vote. And on the second hand, Starmer <clears throat> apparently committed to stamping out anti-Semitism. Even the whiff of it, really. His wife and kids like, are Jewish, aren't they? Uh, right. Uh, well, yeah. They attend sy- yeah. synagogue. So it's a real issue. So it's on the knife edge, isn't it? Sorry. I was just, just politically, 
it's a real problem for Labour. Um, well, it's the, the, the predecessor, Jeremy Corbyn, was more or less ousted on anti-Semitism grounds and they've got a large Islamic voting base and if they push too hard in one direction, they're going to alienate one section of their voters. If they do too much the other way, it's another one. So, and he's not the only one as well. So as, as of this meeting that was caught on tape and reported to the Daily Mail, there was another Labour MP that's now been exposed in Guido Fawkes. Uh, this guy is Graham Jones and he was former member of Parliament for Hindburn, who's trying to be re-elected in the seat again. And he referred to effing Israel and said to Ali that any Briton who goes over to Israel to fight for the IDF, which I think if you do have dual nationality, you can do, should be immediately incarcerated upon their return. That's not illegal. Not ISIS fighters, but... Exactly. Fighters. <laughs> exactly. That's More... Lisa Nandy, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. More Lisa British Nandy. Muslims Great. joined ISIS than the British Army. And yet... Oh, no, we should bring back Shemima Begum. Think about our human rights. As I agree with you, we should drone strike in the middle of the desert. It's one of the few um, uses of tax money I actually approve of. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> give me the Xbox controller. I'll do it myself. Um, they've <laughs> yeah, now suspended I'll pay money to do it. <laughs> yeah, they've suspended him too. Uh, the BBC understands Mr. Jones is suspended for comments he appears to have made about Israel, but Labour has yet to identify the specific remarks. Um, I think I can hazard a guess. It might have been the ones that were just reported. Now, point being, why have I done all this? Well, it's not just to say, go out, support reform against the sort of Tory wets they've stood up and clearly don't believe in and to hold their feet to the fire, but it's also to say that, well, for the next five years at least, given the Labour government seems inevitable at this point, we're going to get religious sectarian politics, particularly Muslim, ethnic and religious in-group preferences. Um, as you said, Labour on a knife's edge, trying to batten away accusations of anti-Semitism while also pandering to the Muslim vote. So we're in for some really hard political times ahead. So I wish I had some good news, but Go out and vote is, I suppose, all I can encourage you with. The only person standing between us and that sort of nightmare future that Labour will bring us is Starmer, one of the weakest men I've ever seen or heard. Not fun. Great. London. You two know about it. <laughs> I still live there, yes. You, you, sorry to hear that. Um, it's better than Swindon. I don't know it too well. I've been there a handful of times, but... Um, what I do know about London is that when it's marketed to the rest of the world, it's normally red buses, you know, red post boxes, uh, English people, and also, you know, the London Eye, Parliament, all of these sorts of sites. And one of those things is the London Underground. And it's recently, uh, or should I say the Overground, which, you know, is part and parcel of uh, living in London. See what I did there? Um, Unfortunately. You know, <laughs> um, has I think it's had six lines change their names, hasn't it? And the, the changes are so egregious. Normally, I wouldn't talk about, oh, who cares about the, the rail network in London? Well, you'd certainly do. I spent um, enough bloody money on it. <laughs> but um, before I get on to the actual news, it's worth mentioning that Calvin Robinson has joined Lotus Eaters. He has his own show on a Thursday afternoon, three o'clock. And if you use the code CRUSADE, you get 50% off gold tier, which is the highest tier on our website, which um, allows you to submit video comments to his fatherly advice section. Um, and if you open with Dear Father Calvin, we'll know it's for Calvin and not for this podcast. And so make sure to check that out. Obviously, it's great stuff. It's Calvin. So go watch it. Anyway, so as I was talking about how iconic these sorts of things are, um, it, they're so iconic that this is actually Mexico City. They've just copied oh. our, our style of underground here, as well as um, 
our London buses as well. Apparently, here's uh, My London, which is not exactly a great um, outlet, but they're being used in Mexico and they're complaining about them being way cleaner than ours, which I find hard to believe. Mexico City, of course, being, I think, the kidnapping capital city of the world. Yeah, but that means that there's no one around to actually ride the buses anymore. That's so. true, actually. Everyone's in the back of a car with a bag over their head. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, they're iconic. It's part of Britain. It's part of our, our branding for tourism, isn't it? And most tourists go to London, even though I think most people should see um, London as well as the rest Bath, of the country as Oxford, well. the like, yeah. Scotland. Um, bit of a trek. But needless to say, these things are symbols of Britain, aren't they? No, things that shouldn't be questioned in a, in a sense. In things, the, things that were nice before 1997. Yeah, it's funny, that interesting uh, line to draw there. And um, I wanted to move on to this. So it was announced in August that they were going to change the, uh, the names of six overground lines. Um, apparently this is going to cost 6.3 million and take two years which uh, I don't understand. I can come up with six better names than the ones they've given. And uh, you can pay me 50 quid. Well, Sadiq I'll, I'll Khan do it for free if you want. Keeps getting cash injections from the last two years from the Department for Transport to just spend it on projects that don't deliver on time, mm -hmm. including trying to roll out 5G across all of the tube networks. And it's now been kicked into the long grass until late 2026. You can't even get internet in a lot of them, can you? No, maybe just the Elizabeth line. No, even the Elizabeth line is only Bond Street Station that has 5G. It's Jubilee line, some of Jubilee line that mm -hmm. has 4G. The rest of it's occasional Wi-Fi that drops out and only if you're on O2. Bloody, you, you can tell I get these things all the time. Uh, the London <laughs> Overground. Yeah, quite, yeah. I'm getting PTSD flashbacks. The London Overground was just a network of one, um, one name for a bunch of different non-interlink lines. So it does make sense to brand them differently. I just know what the names are mm -hmm. and they're ludicrous. Yes, and I also think that calling the station the thing that you're traveling to. So if you're going to a part of London, having the station named after the part of London you're in is fine. Yeah, but the, the, so that's what, they, that's what they're doing. They're keeping the actual station names, but the line themselves are getting different names to go okay. there to there. It's like... I'm a, I'm a country boy. I don't understand these things. It's like how the Elizabeth line goes from Abbey Wood to Heathrow Airport, but the entire thing is still called the Liz line. They've, mm. they've, they've balls up the Elizabeth line as well. Have you got it recently? And have you seen the, the Pride trains? Yeah. So oh, great. Yeah, they've got the intersectional pride flag and they've got that, you know, the diversity realism art style where they mm -hmm. make these sort of shapeless blob people that look like they're made from a Canva graphic and they're all very corporate, diverse. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That it's got some idiot on a wheelchair and, and some woman in a hijab and someone with like mastectomy scars. It's mad. It's absolutely mad. But anyway, let's move on to Sadiq Khan's tweet. This was supposedly part of his 2021 re election manifesto. So he's actually fulfilling what he promises. It'd be nice if. Other politicians could do that, and I suppose I may as well not go on about that. But here we are. Um, so the lines are the Liberty Line, okay, Lioness Line, which is after the women's football team, which lost in the final of the, the Women's World Cup, the Mild May Line, the Suffragette Line, the Weaver Line, and the Windrush Line. And, and if you're not from Britain, some of these might be a bit confusing. But thankfully, Sadiq explains, because many of his voters are not from Britain either. And uh, they're going to need so to translate need these to tweets. Contextualize. So he starts off explaining the Windrush line. This is the one from Highbury and Islington to Clapham Junction, if you're interested. Pretty meaningless to me. I'm more at home uh, on a tractor than I am in the underground um, or the overground. 
He says, the Windrush generation continues to shape our city today. This line honors them and runs through areas with strong ties to Caribbean communities. Oh, in what days does it continue to shape our city, Sadiq? Is it, is uh, it knife the, crime statistics, yeah. yeah. Is it the fatherlessness by any chance? Uh, they, they, they really do treat the Windrush like the UK's Mayflower. It's like, it's like they settled an undiscovered continent. Mm-hmm. It's enraging. Also, until a handful of years ago, no one ever talked about Windrush. Yep. It's one of those things that suddenly everyone always knew and always used to talk about. Mm-hmm. Not the case. It's yeah. a racial stick to beat the native population with. Highbury and Islington in North London over to Clapham in the West. I mean, it is sort of, you know, what, in and around near Tottenham. Is Clapham in the West? I thought Clapham was south. And then New well, Cross yeah, is well, definitely south. Yeah. New Cross is right before yeah. Lewisham, so southeast. Yeah. Well, Highbury and Islington is, Highbury, Islington's just north of the river, right? Yeah. Clapham is south of the river, you're right. Uh, but yeah, it does go through sort of black areas. New Cross, definitely. In fact, actually, Clapham's now got a bit more gentrification. It's very Australian. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it is. <laughs> that's, not, where, like, that's where all the Australians expecting. that move over to the UK live. Like, if you go on a dating app in London, you'll see Australians from Clapham, and that's it. Clapham used to be a byword for sort of very deprived and poor and crime-ridden. It's not so much now. I think it actually costs quite a lot of money to live in Clapham. I've, I've been there relatively recently, and it seemed quite nice. It's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. it's not too bad. Islington is horrible. That's um, really horrible. Jeremy Isn't that Corbyn's? Yeah, yep. I was about to say. So another one here is the Weaver Line, um, which is Liverpool Street to uh, Chessant. Chessant. Need to be careful how yep. I pronounce yep. that. Spitalfields, uh, Bethnal Green, and Hackney. Oh, yep. oh dear. No thanks. So uh, the colour is maroon, and the Weaver Line runs through Liverpool Street, Spitalfield, Bethnal Green, and Hackney, areas of London known for their textile trade. That's and knife crime. Yeah. Shaped by migrant communities and individuals. Yeah, but the, the migrant communities are shaping the knife crime. I mean, again, look, if this was just a, a line name, fine. Actually, it's not a bad line name. Mm. But the reason behind it is this circuitous folding in of migrant communities. Not women from Britain who did the majority of weaving pre-industrially. So that's also anthropologically ridiculous. And then also migrant communities and individuals. So migrant <laughs> communities are just like an insect hive mind. Yeah, they, and they don't. And then you have individual persons. Yeah. <laughs> So we have migrants and people, apparently. According I, to I picked up on that as well. I, I thought it was a funny turn of phrase. Like he's trying to be, you know, preempt some sort of backlash, isn't he, by adding that? But it just makes it seem like he doesn't think that migrants are individuals. <laughs> very poor choice of words, Sadiq Khan. Five more years. Five ones. more years. <laughs> Sorry. So uh, another one here is this one: the suffragette line. Um, There's gonna be a lot of bombs on that, are there? <laughs> They keep on running into horses for some reason. I don't know why. Oh, it reminds me, do, you remind me, do you remember Horrible Histories when they did the Suffragette song? And there's this amazing bit where she throws herself under a horse and it cuts to the bloke wearing the moustache. He just goes, we can't give women votes. If they're so stupid, they'll do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> Horrible Histories has made the case. Who are we to argue? <laughs> um, only joking, of course. Um, I'm not. So the Suffragette line celebrates the working class movement. It wasn't working class. Um but it was upper class. Um, born in the East End and fought for votes for women. Um, Barking was home to Annie Huggett, the longest surviving suffragette. But um, it's also worth mentioning that it was voted for by a parliament full of men as well. And also most of the prominent suffragettes were aristocrats, weren't they? They were sort of the wives of prominent people who are just like, how come I, I can't talk about politics? I'm, you know, it's also worth mentioning as well that Women got the vote only, what was it, seven or so years after universal male suffrage. So it's always banded about, oh, look at how terribly oppressed women were. But then a lot of working class 
men didn't get to vote either. They also got it without conscription, which I agree with. Women shouldn't be conscripted, but special privilege versus, yeah. It does make sense that Sadiq Khan would want to sort of virtual signal in favour of domestic terrorists, which is what the suffragette movement was. They bombed people. Yep. Mm. They bombed people, so they used violence to get their way. Uh, so, uh, yeah. He's courting his own voter base there, isn't he? Not a surprise. <laughs> He literally did pro bono work for terrorists, so you're not wrong. Yeah. But it's also really weird. Like, um, oh, I'm just hopping aboard the suffragette. <laughs> it sounds weird when you say it like that. It sounds like an innuendo, doesn't it? It does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it sounds like you're trying to convert a feminist through other means. Well, the suffragette line smells a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it smells like cat urine. Um, <laughs> so... The next one is the Mild May line. Oh, I hate this. Um, it's Mild May. I've got, so know. the Mild May Mission Hospital is a small charitable hospital in Shoreditch that has cared for all Londoners for decades. All Londoners. You've got to get that in there. It played a pivotal role in the HIV AIDS crisis in the 1980s. So it's basically a, a hospital that specialised in helping people with HIV, which largely affected gay and, and black people. Didn't yeah. So if you didn't shoot heroin or bum without a condom on, you were fine. And we're naming a line after that. <laughs> Great. I, lo- I love what's happening to my home city. It's funny how they have to search harder and harder for something to virtue signal about. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was born and raised in London, well, Greater London. I've never heard of that. Shoreditch is in the east, right? I mean, it's, hmm. it's not a million miles from Liverpool Street. Uh, I've been through, I've drunk in Shoreditch dozens and dozens. Of, I've never heard of that in my life. Well, I'm now really you scraping the bottom of the barrel. Now you can take something the, uh, to virtue signal about. I mean. You can take the sodomy line <laughs> back home now. Goes for a lot of tunnels. That one. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, here's another one. They didn't even win. Yeah, they didn't even win. Uh, running through Wembley, the line honours the oh. historic achievements and lasting legacy of the England women's football team and continues to inspire and empower the next generation of girls. You know, uh, the, the men's team is better. Uh, that is worth saying. Um, well, no, women's football as a totality is a, is a joke. It's, a, it's terrible. In, it's in comparison it's to absurd. the men's, yeah. it's, it's, it's absurd how poor this quality the standard of football is. In all women's football, even in the World Cup, it's, it's clown shoes. It's, it's not even funny. Women's goalkeepers are just, it's actually comical. Um, women's football, I don't mind saying this, as, as a totality is, is pathetically poor. No, I, I think that the quality of football is demonstrated when you get the professional teams playing like the under-15 side and getting thrashed. So I, it's not, we're not having a go at women, we're just saying that when it comes to football, blokes better. Yeah, most, like most of the country, I would have a really strong opinion on this if I bothered watching it, but I have so many better things to do than watch women's I, football. Yeah, I can't watch more than a few minutes at a time. I've tried a, few, I've tried a number of times, half a dozen times, mm-hmm. ten times, I've tried to sit down and watch a game of women's football get five, 10, 20 minutes into it. And I'm just like, I'm sort of snorting and sniggering to myself and tutting and shaking my head. And I, just, I just can't watch anymore. If I want to watch bad football, I'm a Plymouth Argyle supporter. So. <laughs> like they can't string a number of passes together. They can't, they can't do a, a, a ball across the field. They haven't got the power in their legs. The, honestly, women's goalkeepers are... <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. You get the idea. I, I've, I haven't really got the words to describe female goalkeepers. I feel like I should have just done it about women's football. It was an <laughs> untapped goldmine here. So the final one is the Liberty Line, which I think is probably the least egregious name, I suppose. That's um, fine, yeah. This line runs through 
Um, Haveringen celebrates the historic independence of the people of Havering and its status as a royal liberty. Havering, sorry to nitpick, but that is, this right. is my neck of the woods. I, I don't know this area, so thank you for correcting me. Um, an area that traditionally had more self-governance and autonomy, That's which is a bit from, ironic from you, isn't it? From the man who expanded ULES out to everywhere that said in the consultation, <sighs> no thanks. Self-governance and autonomy is what I want, and this is just mocking me. If I get on the liberty line and I'm just there surrounded by migrants, just yeah. like, oh, this is... This is my liberty. I can't afford a home. I've, I've paid an extortion amount of money to be in London and I'm surrounded by people that don't even like me. And the care worker who's FaceTiming the person she's sending all our tax money back to. Yep. Liberty. Uh, I, w I was born and raised and went to school, primary and secondary school, in Havering. Um, and Sorry for getting it wrong. And lived in Havering, uh, the London Borough of Havering, my whole life until just a few years ago. Uh, Romford is probably the biggest town near me, um, been to Romford thousands and thousands of times, been to Upminster thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Um, again, born and raised and lived for nearly my whole life near Elm Park, Hornchurch, which is between those two places. So this is really absolutely my neck of the woods. And uh, until, I don't know, maybe 2014 or 15 or 16, it was just almost entirely white. It was just pure Essex, right? Because the London Borough of Havering, if anyone doesn't know, is on the outskirts of the Greater London area. It's on the outskirts of London. It's sort of, sort of more Essex than London almost. Um, and so anyway, it's just, yeah, that classic sort of Tory. Most of the seats are fairly safe Tory most of the time. So it's sort of, no wonder they want to deliberately flood it with, with foreigners. Because Romford now is completely, within just a few years, in five, six, seven years, since Theresa May, it's completely unrecognisable. Um, so th and there's just no need to change... Any of this. I know the little, uh, the, the little line that goes from Romford to Upminster. It's just one little platform in Romford Station. And it's just, it's just the most absurd, unnecessary virtue signaling. At Same. least it's one of the nicer ones, I suppose. You, you could have had you know, the Windrush line or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Same, same thing's going to happen, I think, towards my area because they're expanding, apparently, the Bakerloo line out to Lewisham. Currently, I don't have a tube station anywhere near me. No transient population, still suburban, but they've started building the preparatory tower blocks for all of the diverse enrichment that they're going to flood my area with. And it's only going to be a little while until you start getting overground or tube coming to the southeast. And oh, it's going to be so depressing. Just keep an acid attack kit near your front door. Right. <laughs> yes. It's, I'm laughing, but it's genuinely good advice these days. I mean, the number of them just recently in London, which of course is not a crime that is known to happen domestically. Oh, no, did you not hear? We had a couple of them happen in the Victorian era. Therefore, it's a British pastime, don't you know? That's why, since record immigration, we're number one in the world for acid attack. We had to pour through all of British history to find this one example to <laughs> disprove you. <laughs> but um, there have been some alternatives suggested. Uh, I, I thought perhaps naming uh, a line the knife crime line is a good idea. I, I don't know whether you've got any honourable suggestions to represent modern London. The uh, unaffordable line, another <laughs> good one. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. Should go the other way, call it like the Enoch Powell line. <laughs> something. <laughs> British Empire line. That, that, that's actually a good name of a line. The Cecil Rhodes line. <laughs> Jihad Express and it goes from Newham to Whitechapel and that's it. <laughs> the East India line. I don't know. It's not even British. But anyway, um, this next meme is, is making fun of it. Um, it's a little bit graphic. It is, has been censored, but if there are kids watching, uh, cover their eyes for a little bit. But uh, Cully Druckber... Um, Best account on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> shared 
Hmm. POV, you are taking a train ride on the Windrush line. And this is uh, a guy, I think he was a migrant, wasn't he? Who just randomly started hitting people with a machete. Yeah, he took, he took some guy's hand off, basically. So, uh, yes, this was uh, on the tube. This was the underground, wasn't it? Yeah, Rather than the overground. the Jubilee line. Okay. Looks like the Jubilee line mm-hmm. to me, yeah. So, yes, this is uh, an accurate representation of uh, London life, it seems. I wouldn't know. But um, on a slightly more upbeat note, um, I, I saw this and it made me laugh. Um, Dr. Francis Young said, uh, cheer up, Walter. They named an overground line after you because uh, this is Walter Mildmay, who was Chancellor of the Exchequer to Queen Elizabeth I um, and founder of Emmanuel College, Cambridge. So there you go. Um, I think that was the 16th century. Oh, yeah, you should, you should just name certain lines after figures from British history and use the stops that they would frequent. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the Baker... Not Dickens related stuff. Exactly about to say Dickens. Uh, the Bakerloo Line station, um, sorry, Baker Street station, is modelled after Sherlock Holmes. It's in the tile work. So mm. why can't we have a bit more character like that? Sherlock oh, no. Line, that would be good. Sorry, it? we have to spend all our money on social housing for Somalis. Forgot about that bit. It should just be whatever the name of the place already is. It's, that's a very simple... That's what it was before. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's actually easier to navigate. If they've got these names that represent a place... It actually muddies the water. So you're like, I'm taking this line to so-and-so. Mm. Mm. And it's just easier to say, I'm going to here. Mm. You don't need an added layer of complication to it. It is useful if you're navigating London just off the top of your head to know okay. the lines which connect. Because mm-hmm. obviously loads of them have overlapping stops and so the colours make it easier to associate. But just don't name them stupid bloody things. I just... Sorry. So... um it's also worth mentioning as well that this costs over six million pounds to do, and uh, just looking at the underground, which you know is part of the rail network in London, so it's fair to associate it with the overground names. The amount of crime that skyrocketed—we've got the data for 2023 now—and comparing it to 2022, look at theft, um, public order offences, violence, criminal damage. Uh, hate crime, interestingly enough, has gone up as well. And work-related violence and aggression. I don't know what that is. That'll be harassing tube workers. Okay. So all of these have been going up, particularly theft. And wouldn't you think that people care more about not being beaten or stolen from when they're traveling than the name of the station? What's also very interesting is within that year, the Elizabeth Line opened. And the areas it passes through, um, one, it connects to Heathrow Airport. So everyone that's just coming off the plane, mm-hmm. don't know who those people are. But to the areas it passes through are some nice stops and some enriched stops. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if that's contributed to a significant bump in the difference in crime in the last year. Mm-hmm. But of course, this is just another example of wasted money. And also the fact that Sadiq Khan made stop and search illegal, didn't he? So now the police can't stop people who are suspected of carrying weapons. Well, they stopped <laughs> mysteriously meant that crime went up. Well, they changed the, the, the crime recording database as well because Sadiq Khan said that because it had over-representation of diversity in the statistics, it was therefore racist. So they just said, stop gathering statistics. <laughs> yeah, it's not that they're just committing more crime. My goodness, that would be unforgivable, wouldn't it? But um, I've, I've gone on for too long. Quickly, oh, sorry. Anecdote. Years and years ago, like 2002 or something, I was, in inverted commas, jumped on, uh, on uh, the train. Blimey. And they were going to nick my phone. I got my phone out and it was so old and crap. They were like, <laughs> and then left me alone. They wouldn't even steal from you. I had a really old phone, like a really old Nokia from like 1998 or something. Blimey. They were like, 
just just left me alone. It's like a Dave Chappelle skin. Yeah. It's like, thank so the, God. the moral of the story is they left you some change. <laughs> if you're in, if you're <laughs> sorry for me, I'm going to end on if if you're in London, just be really poor. So if when the criminals inevitably try and steal from you, they won't actually find anything of worth stealing. And don't worry, it's so expensive in London that you won't have to try very hard anyway. The fast way to do it is just rent. Yeah, exactly. Right. Did I get the mouse just to scroll? Yeah, down, so. scream. Oh. We do have to ration them according to slots here, and obviously I'm not the most graceful person in the world, so sorry. I'm oh. also sweltering. Yeah, is, is the is the aircon on, John? Because genuinely, it's inhospitable <laughs> in here. I've got it's a stinking unbearable. cold, and I'm like sweating My out. My shirt is going to look like a Rorschach test. I mean, we've got an office sauna, though. That's something. <laughs> okay, just start my segment. Go for it. Of sorry. course. Um, so just before I start my segment, which I wanted to talk about, really, uh, the influence that celebrities can have over, over our democracies, over our societies, over politics in general. I do need to mention that uh, Father Calvin Robinson has started to work for us at Lotus Eaters. It's Common Sense Crusade, which is on, on Thursday. of celebrities. Um, so the good father is now in our stable. And we're glad to have him. Um, and it's on later today, actually. So uh, about three o'clock today. Uh, and if you do use the, the code CRUSADE to sign up, you'll get 50% off a, a gold tier membership. Um, and of course, uh, I think Calvin's great. So uh, tune in for that. It's, it's well worth it, I think. All right. So I wanted to talk about just a bit about, and I think a lot of our audience already know this. Um, you know, don't take your political cues from celebrities. Or the wider point I wanted to make is don't really take them from anyone. So the thing I wanted to say is people should make up their own minds. I, again, I don't want to cond condescend to any of our audience because I'm sure nearly all of them or most of them already do that. A lot of people in the world don't do that. They take their cues from all sorts of places. I think one of the, one of the most obvious times that happens is a household. If you belong to, uh, say, a, a Labour voting household or a Tory voting household, your parents bring you up to be a Lib Dem. A lot of people will never really question that and then go through their whole life just you know, with the same voting patterns that their family has. I find that quite strange. I, I didn't even talk politics with my parents until I had a fully formed opinion. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's not always the way to do it, though, isn't it? I think you, you let your kids make their own decision, maybe point them in a direction, but don't do it too forcefully. I think, but I think one of the most pernicious things in our new modern world in 2023 and in the few years before is, is the influence of celebrities. Perhaps you did grow up in a fairly unpolitical household, you haven't had your mind made up for you since childhood. You don't really, you don't spend any time thinking about politics. You're not party political or anything like that. Um, so you might get your cues from celebrities. It's, it seems to be the case, right? So in the Biden election and in some of the elections, the Obama years and things, it does seem that some particularly influential celebrities seem to actually move the bar. Right. I, I remember the woman, Tina Fey from 30 Rock. Mm. She played um, Sarah Palin on SNL and she did it so convincingly for people that people had attributed to Sarah Palin her joke, I can see Russia from my house. And they just thought that Sarah Palin was a total dimwit. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong, she ran with John McCain, so not the brightest person in the Republican Party, but she, she had wrinkles in her brain. She wasn't that stupid. But just by pure mimetic power, that can eclipse anyone's messaging. Mm. Some celebrity making fun of you. Mm. And that, that does have a massive influence on politics. Yeah. 
I mean, say you're young, say you're only 18 or 19 or something, and you really don't know anything one way or another, but you feel obliged to vote and you're a massive fan of Lady Gaga or Robert De Niro or something, and they're just telling you you should vote a certain way. That, that can actually swing things, right? It could be hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people, and not just in America, all over the place, right? Um, so uh, there's one link here. John, if you could play that first link. If, you, if anyone remembers, Lady Gaga was just completely partisan in favor of Sleepy Joe. <laughs> vote like your life depends on it. Oh, okay. Or vote like your children's lives depend on it. Because they do. She's doing a dry story. And to all the women <laughs> and all the, women, the, the men with daughters and sisters and mothers, everybody, no matter how you identify, now is your chance to vote against Donald Trump, a man who believes his fame gives him the right to grab one of your daughters or sisters or mothers or wives by any part of their bodies. Vote for Joe. He's a good person. Thank you. Are we, are we just ignoring all of the videos of Joe Biden sniffing children's hair? Yeah, yeah, we wait, are. Wait, keep playing it. Oh, is there more? Now he's got Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga is not too good. <laughs> I could tell you plenty of stories. I could tell you stories about Lady Gaga. I know a lot of stories about Lady Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I do need to make the point uh, that, you know, both sides do this. Yep. You know, there's people that are based, the celebrities that are based, you know, like uh, Jake Shields, the UFC fighter, springs to mind. Oh, Sean Strickland, uh, Kobe Covington. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few. Jorge Master Vidal, yeah. Tyson Fury is not woke, right? Mm. Um, so it's, both sides do it. And I wouldn't ever sort of say that they shouldn't be allowed to do it. But people just need to be, I think, uh, just need to be a little bit savvy um, about who they're taking advice from. Uh, and, and the same goes for us as well, because we're, you know, yeah. we're part of that. We're, we're as much propagandists in inverted commas as Lady Gaga. Right? Hmm. So my point, I, I'm, <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is partisan. We're partisan. <laughs> you know, every, oh, yeah, of course. Whenever you voice an opinion, a mm -hmm. political opinion, you can be accused of being partisan or, or propagandist or whatever. Okay, so, right. But, so that is my overarching point, is that people need to really think for themselves, make up their own minds. People these days don't really seem to, I don't know many people that make an effort to sort of actually look at and read the manifestos of the parties that, that, that they could vote for, right? It's all sort I mean, of you, vibe, isn't it? You're a very political person yep. in the circles you move in. Not many people really actually read manifestos, actually try and drill down into the policies of the parties that, that they could potentially vote for. My, my contentious take is actually that a better political system would mean that not everyone has to be politicized all the time. So at the moment, there are, there are lots of non-voting Dinos, and they're, they're not particularly bright, but they're, they're wholesome enough people. You know, they go to their call center job, and they have a couple of kids, and they live in their Barrett New Build. <laughs> Should they necessarily be forced to be political if they're not by nature political? But all of their media is filled with political talking points. Late night comedy has become... Uh, not funny, and has just become another mouthpiece of regime propaganda. Well, building upon that, actually, part of the reason I agree with you, I actually try and discourage people to vote, um, not because I don't think it works, but more so that you've got to be, be of conviction. I'm not, I'm not making the argument that you're shaking your head at. I know what... Okay. Um, 
I'm basically trying to say that the people who are sort of undecided when it comes to an election, they don't know anything about politics and they're sort of easily swayed either way. They're not desirous people to have voting. Um, and I'm not saying they should be disenfranchised or anything. I'm just saying that these people are most prone to being swayed by celebrities and, and that sort of thing. And when people say, go out and vote, it's very important that you vote. In, what is actually implicit in that is they're saying, well, we know that the people who are still undecided on the cusp of an election probably haven't been following it very closely, don't follow politics very closely, and therefore are more prone to being manipulated. Mm. Therefore, go out and vote for us because our propaganda is more effective at the minute. Can we also just address the demographic question in the room? It's not men usually being swayed by this stuff. It's usually suburban housewives who might be swayed voting against Donald Trump because they listen to one Lady Gaga song and she says he's an existential threat. And particularly young women. This is why some on the right have gotten into a frenzy about the whole Taylor Swift thing, because they think that she's going to mobilize all the affluent white female liberal awfuls from various cities um, and flip uh, America into a permanent Democrat Party state. Uh, it's not usually men that are persuaded by celebrities to vote for a particular political candidate. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know about that in great detail. Um, you may well be right. I'm sure you're right. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, different demographics are more susceptible to different things. That that's certainly true. Uh, I just think two two points really. One is think for yourself, do your own research. I suppose is one way of saying it. Um, and and also like do vote if you can. I mean, I I really do, I know it's not exactly what you were saying, mm -hmm. but um, I suppose in the broadest sense, if you choose not to vote, if you choose to just absent yourself from the whole process, um. I just don't agree with the argument that that's sort of the right way to go. Because if you well, want to change things, if you want to change oh, your your government or your governance or the way politics is done in your country, it, it's either by a force, by some sort of militia or something, or at the ballot box. And, you know, the, the former of those two things aren't desirable. I don't just buy the argument that, like, democracy doesn't work, or, like, lol, vote harder, that whole thing. I do. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, mm. it's like you've, it's defeatism to me. I, I don't know. It just seems. I believe I don't in, know why. In, in voting, but I think it's just about being informed. I think people who are following like a political podcast like this, you know, you've got that interest in politics and therefore I would encourage someone to go out and do it. But if someone's voting purely because they're told that it's like a, a public duty, but they don't really care, it's kind of like flicking on the, the national football team when they're playing, when the World Cup's on just to kind of say you supported them when you're not really that interested. It's that same sort of thing. May I steel man the um, abstention position? Uh, if you are so informed as to understand the character and the policies of your exact local candidates, not just the party at the national level, and you find all options wanting, is it fair to say, well, there's actually no point? Because yeah. other, before, frankly, before Richard Tice committed to um, the inquiry this week about safe and effective things, um, I was thinking, okay, I'll just leave it out, but because I, I don't, I don't see any viable options at the moment nationally. I see individual candidates that I particularly like, but the viability of any major party at this point is, is I think, moot at least in this election. Yeah, I know it's a weak thing to say, but you can have, you can spoil your ballot. I know it's not really worth a great deal, but I've done it before. Yeah, I've done it before. Yeah, and well, the two points I wanted to make is one: think for yourself, make up your own mind who you think is likely to sort of act in your best interests. Um, and also vote with your, vote for, you, for what you really want. 
vote with your heart, you know, rather than, because there's, there's the other argument of voting strategically. I've done that as well in the past, and I'm disappointed in myself when I've done it. Uh, you know, I just really, really hate this party or this candidate, so I'm going to vote for the person who's most likely to beat them, even though I don't like them either. That was the 2019 election, basically. Right, yeah. In fact, that's when I did it. I voted against Corbyn, and uh, yeah, I'm disappointed in myself for doing it, because I just voted for the person who was most likely to beat him there. Mm-hmm. And they did. It also depends on the nature of the, the seat as well. If it's a really safe seat, you've kind of got the luxury of voting for whoever you want because right. it's, yeah. it's pretty much guaranteed. You know, where I grew up was an incredibly safe Tory seat. So, you know, it didn't really matter how I voted. It was a done deal already. But if it's quite close, then I think tactical voting makes a bit more sense. Although I do agree with your general sentiment that if you vote tactically, eventually you know, your actual ideal will become further and further away because you're voting for a party that isn't ideal for you. It's a classic thing that the, the Conservatives are doing at the moment and, and all the big parties have done for years and years on end. It's like, you've got to vote for us regardless of how despicable we are because the alternative is worse. They're saying vote reform, get Labour at the moment. Yeah. So I'm saying vote with your heart. You, know, well, you might not win, but that, that's sort of... It, you can't vote strategically forever because you'll never get what you want. Never. Um, and, you know, history has shown that small parties can break through eventually. It might take a while, or it does take a while. But, you know, there was a time before the Labour Party, right? <laughs> there, it there used was, to be the, the, the Whigs and the Tories, didn't it? Right, yeah. Yeah, the modern, the modern uh, parties in America haven't been around since the beginning of the Republic. They're slightly different versions of them. So, it is possible you sort of got to believe. I know I'm coming at it from a very sort of pro-reform, because this is the exact message reform need. I get that. And I'm, I know I'm open to the criticism here if I'm just sort of shilling for reform, which I suppose I am, but I truly, I genuinely believe it. You, you've got to, even though I didn't do it one time, you've got to sort of vote for what you truly think is the best thing, even if that candidate is not necessarily likely to win at the next election. Um, because otherwise you'll always get the slightly lesser of two evils. Um, well, anyway, I want to come back and just uh, maybe uh, highlight one particular example of a celebrity um, that is uh, sort of quite political, that has got such a big reach, such a big influence that it can actually, you know, move the needle, as I say. Um, I'm, I'm talking of Sir Lewis, Lewis Hamilton. Um, I don't know if John put the picture up yet. There but, he is, yeah. Um, so a week or two ago now, it was uh, revealed that Lewis Hamilton will move from Mercedes to Ferrari. I know both you guys aren't particularly all that interested in F1. Uh, and I won't really talk about the race. I was the one that really. told you that that happened. What? I told you that Lewis Hamilton moved to Ferrari. And you're like, what? It must have been on the day it was It released. was, yeah. It must yeah. have been within minutes of it happening. It was, yeah. Oh, okay, all right, okay. <laughs> um, so firstly, just very quickly to say, that I'm not going to criticise Sir Lewis on his driving. Um, he is among the best. I mean, on paper, he is the GOAT. No one's won more races or got more pole positions than he has. Um, I think most people that actually know about it would only probably put him in the top half dozen or so of all time. Nevertheless, the point is, he's an extraordinary talent. Um, very good in the wet. And um, so the, none of this criticism about his driving. He's a superb driver, seven times world tra- champion. Should really be eight. He was robbed in Abu Dhabi in 2021. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> but... As, uh, when it comes to politics, uh, the man is out of his mind. 
he really is uh, an agent of the regime or something, fully captured. Uh, also, he's got a sideline in sort of the fashion world. So you can see there he's got... He could have fooled of, me. No, no sense of taste. He, uh, he once it? got in trouble for saying to his niece or nephew, I can't remember which one's the male one, that boys shouldn't wear dresses. And after that, he yeah. retracted it and went full throttle woke for years. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, I was going to get onto that. Absolutely. Um, um, yeah, so, well, okay, I'll just talk about that now. A few years ago now, it was at Christmas and his nephew had been given um, a, a princess outfit. Um, in fact, John, you might be able to find that link somewhere in there. Um, uh, picture, there you go. That's his nephew. And at Christmas, in, in, Lewis Hamilton was streaming it on his phone. He said, little boys shouldn't dress up as a princess. Yeah, if you do that to your son, you're committing and, uh, child abuse, I think. And um, I, I sincerely believe that. And that. the backlash from that, from sort of the wokerati, you, you can imagine. And uh, Sir Lewis completely folded, like utterly, utterly folded. Uh, sort of profusely apologizing over and over and over again. And uh, ever since then, his slide towards sort of wokeism, or worse than mere wokeism, has been, has been, it's fallen off a cliff, really. Um, so, so during the BLM era stuff, um, he went sort of full BLM. Uh, if you can go back to some of the pictures, some of the pictures, John. Um, so th there you go. So it's full Black Lives Matter, and he wanted everyone to take the knee uh, before every race. <laughs> like the only one pushing for it really was him. Um, so you know, it's funny because Black Lives Matter are sort of you know communist race baiters. They've been revealed as that now, right? Oh yeah, they're anti-white race hustlers. Yeah, right. Yeah. They've, they've nicked loads of money. I mean, thank goodness they did steal all the money. Think all the damage that could be done if they weren't thieves. And self-proclaimed communists, right? Yes. Yeah. Trained so, Marxists was the word. Trained Marxists. colours, yeah. It's funny because I don't remember Sir Lewis really talking about Das Kapital and things before. So I don't remember him ever really talking about the workers' paradise, how they should own <laughs> the means of production. Any, That's what he like said that. about Ferrari. He said it's a workers' <laughs> paradise and, uh, you know, it's nice to see. No, I'm joking, of course. Yeah, I, you know, um, it's just it's virtue signaling to a large degree. And... Um, I mean, he's always had a bit of a, well, a bit of a chip on his shoulder, really, about, about his ethnicity, always going on about um, how much he suffered as a child through racism. Now, he's a little bit younger than me, so I remember Britain in the late 80s and 90s. It was pretty unracist, to be honest. Is that shirt <laughs> real? Yeah, that's not a Photoshop. So uh, there you go. Immigration, you idea, so. immigration is a good thing and science is real. Okay, brilliant. Let's talk about the science of per capita, Lewis. Mm. Per capita would be great. Let's talk about love, love is, is love. Isn't yeah, love that, is love. Yeah. That's a, that's a pro um, mm, slogan. Yeah, well, yeah. It's well, that's what it's used as now. I think it used to be like an, uh, a pro-gay yeah. thing, didn't it? Yes. It became something else. Well, yeah, because if you're dismantling all boundaries between types of love, you get some very unsavory places. Yeah, yeah, you're getting very close to sort of trying to justify paedophilia. Yeah, the, 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 what, the lines on the back is age is just a number. Yes. <sighs> Sorry. So, Lewis Hamilton's a virtue signaling BLM supporter. Okay, all right, you can sort of, okay. But then, when I saw this one, and this is a good couple of years ago now, um, this is when I was really quite aghast to see that. Um, if anyone knows the details of the Brianna killing, We'll see that there now he reveals himself to me at that point of being 
fully captured, being an agent of the regime, being really, you're very close to being ACAB there, right? You're very close to really being an agent of chaos, of trying to undermine Western civilization, trying to undermine the concept of police and things. So at that point, for me anyway, it was sort of the final straw. It's like, well, I'm not just dealing with a, a virtue signaling race car driver. I'm dealing with somebody who is sort of highly, highly politicized and very, very divisive. You can see some of the drivers didn't want to take the knee. Some of them mm. quite quickly refused to. That's Charles Leclerc, a Frenchman, Frenchman in the background. I'm not sure who that is. Maybe Daniel Kavia, a Russian. Um, yeah, Max Verstappen, a Dutchman, didn't take the knee quite quickly. Some of them dig kick back about it. Some of them love it. Sebastian Vettel is completely mad for it. Um, but the Lewis Hamilton stuff goes beyond just sort of Black Lives Matter. It's the full spectrum. It's sort of the pride stuff and environmentalism. I mean, how crazy is that? He had a private unit. Yeah, anyway, sort of says it all, doesn't it? Mm. Can't you just drive your car fast, please, Sir Lewis? What has this got to do with... Uh, right. So anyway, and my, the broader point I was making is that Lewis Hamilton is very, very influential. I mean, I know you guys aren't necessarily into F1, but, you know, it is worldwide. Millions and millions of people. Like on Twitter, he's got, I think, eight million odd. Everyone and knows he, who he is, certainly in right, Britain anyway. Right, yeah. Well, no, he's, he's sort of in, depending on how you measure it, the, mm. the GOAT in F1, one of the greatest drivers of all time. What he says and what he does has a lot of influence. Look, look there's Max. Oh, and Kimi, Kimi Raikkonen didn't take the knee either. Um, anyway. Well done, Raikkonen. Anyway, yeah. Oh, they even changed the livery of the, of the Mercedes car. It's been the Silver Arrows. It's been painted in silver since the 1930s. Because of George Floyd and Lewis, they made the car black. I mean, it's just... Uh, yeah, the Mercedes Silver is like iconic, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it you can use that as a term to refer to a certain shade of silver, can't you? Like, hmm. I'll have it in Mercedes Silver, please. Right, yeah. And just because Lewis wants it, they changed it to black. Can you do the next picture? Um, yeah, so there you go, like the full, the full pride thing. I mean, it's got nothing to do with driving. Like, let's kick racism out of driving. Let's make sure that everyone that watches racing is sort of pro-pride stuff. Uh, it's just crowbarred in there. Uh, but, you know, so this stuff will work on lots of people, though. People that are not politicised, people that don't do their own reading, their own research. Um, they're just like, well, I just love racing and all the race car drivers I idolise are this way. So I guess, yeah, I would better vote Joe or something. It's very certainly similar. can't vote Trump. Certainly can't vote for the Tories or something. I don't know. It's very similar to the campaign of kick racism out of football, isn't it? Mm. It's like, well, you know, the, the age of the football hooligans that wasn't to do with race in the first place is kind of over. There's not, the, the problem's already kind of solved. It's just needless. I think it's very deliberate as well, like rubbing your nose in it. In it. Because, you know, racing is a very male-centric thing quite a very european thing as well um and so it's like you know uh white european men love this thing so let's subvert it super hard you know whatever it is you know like tolkien or something oh uh white european guys love that so we've got a, we've got a screw with that as far as the environmentalists so lewis hamilton used to own a private jet um he was very proud of um but then when the environmentalists said uh you know that's that's bad that's a no-no he, he sold it got rid of it and then started talking about environmentalism, which is, for a race car driver, especially a Formula One driver, is absolutely mad. They, the amount of freight they have to fly around the world to make these races happen, the amount of carbon, 
I mean, the whole carbon thing is nonsense anyway. It's plant food. But nevertheless, if you buy into the whole thing, the amount of carbon that F1 as an entity puts into the... It, it's just crazy. Yeah, what it, does his uh, car run on then? Fossil right. fuels, I would presume? They are hybrid engines, half electric, half internal combustion. But it's okay. not the point. It's not the point. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy that a race car driver would try and be an environmentalist. It's nonsense, right? Uh, but so that's my point. He's been captured or perhaps been made to believe that this is what he really thinks about stuff. I don't know. Um, the point is, it's just one example. So Lewis is just one example, like Lady Gaga or, or Jake Shields or anyone. They've got a huge amount of influence and uh, people should just be, be they should do their, do their own thinking. Don't take your, your cues from, from someone who doesn't know any, doesn't really know anything. He's not a, He's not, he doesn't know anything about political theory, right? Like, like I said at the beginning, I don't remember saying, him ever yeah. talking about communism or socialism. But now he's like a full race baiter, that Breonna Taylor thing. Sorry, you're in the territory of race baiting now. You're in the territory of actually damaging nations now. It's not just a bit of virtue signaling. It's not just putting the, 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 the black power hand in the air or forcing all your colleagues to take a knee every race. Um, can go to the next link? I don't know what else we've got yet. Okay, okay so play this video. It's, the, it's a, hostage, a hostage video, essentially. It's only one minute long. I won't stay silent. I am committed to fighting for equality for all. I am fully committed in the fight against racism. I won't stay silent against racial discrimination and inequality. I believe everyone should be treated equally. I stand in solidarity in the fight against racism. Estoy dedicado en la lucha contra el racismo. I believe that everyone has to play a part in the fight for equality. I'm part of the movement to fight for a better future for us all. Let's all do our part. 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 Put an end to racism. Equality for everyone. So let's all stand up to make everyone see the beauty of it. I stand against racism. I am part of the movement to fight for a better future for all. Let's all do our part to put an end to racism. I think I saw a muzzle poke in the edge there. <laughs> yeah. Those all seem such genuine heartfelt words, didn't they? Yeah, it's like a hostage. Guys, just drive your cars around the track as fast as you can. I'm not interested in your, your politics. Anyway, um, so that's basically the point I want to make. Lewis Hamster is just one example. One that's particularly sort of annoying to me, particularly egregious. I um, think people should just be aware um, that it's quite easy to manipulate people that aren't politicized, right? It's easy to, like, as you say, people who haven't really got any thoughts one way or the other. And you just go with people that you respect for something completely different, like for singing songs or for driving a car around fast or for being a UFC fighter or something. Um, People need to think for themselves and vote with their heart, I think. Um, so that's just the point I wanted to make. Right, with that, onto the video comment. Sorry if I am quiet. I am genuinely feeling faint in here. It's so hot, it's unreal. <laughs> yeah, it's like a sauna. It's, it's, no, actually... it's, it's appalling. Like, this is awful, man. So can we get this fixed before Calvin dies, before he does his bloody show, please? <laughs> I'm right. sweating out my illness. Yeah. I actually feel better. <laughs> I, genuinely, I feel like I'm going to... Lisa, right. got some water. No. <laughs> right, anyway, can we just play the video comments? Sorry. So I want Connor to explain exactly what he's going to do to fix Billie Eilish. 
Now, as a good example of a segment that could be done is, okay, what do we do given the hand we've been dealt as a society to make relationships with women kind of like that? Because there's only so many quote unquote good women to go around. So what do we do? Because not all of us are cut out to be MGTOW. We just need relationships. So what do we do? Frankly, I don't think anyone should consign themselves to MGTOW. I think that's just defeatist. Uh, I think it's usually largely cope from people that don't analyze themselves. But if you are struggling, I mean... <clears throat> just go out and meet people. Right? No, that's such a... Sorry, that's a very boomer pit because that's not how people... That's not how people... Genuinely, that's not how most people meet. Most, most of our generation don't drink. Um, most people are staring at their phones a lot of the time. Majority of relationships started on dating apps and that now. So... What, what is actually really helpful is if you are slightly older and you know t two young single people that might get along, actually like the Gen Z's and the Bo Gen X's and the boomers should start matchmaking. That's much better than... Sort take of the Indian stuff. approach and just... <laughs> take, take the, take the, take the pre-modern approach that we always did. Sort of Isn't that what I was saying? Just yeah, go back to... Yeah, get off dating apps and meet real well, people. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but as in the most... So when, when advice is given, it's usually just go to a bar and talk to someone that's like, yeah, okay, really. I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that never that's, was the, particularly the case. Right, yeah. That's, but, that's what most people say. Yeah, but meet people in general. Go out and do stuff and live I in the real world. Touch grass. Yeah, definitely. That's um, what I'm talking about. Yeah, sorry. From, from my experience, normally people approach a relationship more seriously if they know you as a friend of a friend or yeah. you're within a certain circle. So I think nothing really beats... Um, knowing someone in the real world because mm. the dating apps you're, you're you're engaging a lot of the time in a false economy because it's it's seen as this sort of revolving door because it's so convenient to find people that all of a sudden finding someone who might be right is not that significant to I have people. a bigger group of friends I think all my relationships I think have just been someone who knows someone friend of a friend yeah you, Same don't, here, yeah. you don't go to a bar and just try and talk to a stranger. It's through a mutual friend. If you have a bigger group of friends, just live in the real world. Right? Have, That's what I mean. I have had dates with people before where I've spoke to them in a bar. It, it does happen. Right. It's just it's just increasingly scarce. I will say on dating apps, so go and watch mine and Dan's Brokenomics on that for more insight. Um, they can work. It's just that you need to set your parameters to be very restrictive. I mean, ironically, I did a thing on dating apps saying don't use them and then it worked. But generally, friend of friends or matchmaking is going to be better. Um, as for fixing Billie Eilish, I'm not going to do a segment on that because it's also partially a meme. Like, yeah, she's attractive, but she's she's beyond saving. Isn't she gay now? Did she's she quote unquote queer. Okay. I mean, uh, you're still in for a chance, Connor. You can fix her. <laughs> <laughs> Good musician, horrible political opinions. Uh, right. So we've got a we've got a super chat actually. We do. Ten, yeah. Ten dollars from Josie Angels. Uh, my granddaughter is coming to Met Film School autumn this autumn. Advice other than don't do it. That's for the Londoners, so not me. Uh, don't live in central London. Live on one of the outskirts that doesn't have a tube line because it's a lot cheaper. It's more suburban and less stabby. And you can probably get a house share in sort of like the southeast or something like that. It's on the border of Kent, which is a bit more hospitable. Um, be careful when going out late at night, genuinely. Yeah, the transport system, the underground and everything, you should be all right during rush hour. It's late at night when the carriages are fairly empty. You get some psycho like the video we had earlier. But if you just commute in and out, it's so busy. And there's London Transport Police quite often. And you should be all right. It's just yeah, certain times of day, certain areas, obviously much worse than others. But um, 
particularly yeah. as a, a girl as well. You know, I've, I've got the tube absolutely hammered before, like not even sure where I am and at late at night and I just kind of materialize where I'm meant to be. Don't know how it happens, actually. It's kind of like magic. That is not our advice, by the way. Don't yeah, tell us to do that. Don't do that. That's... Well, if you're really rich, just get black cabs mm. everywhere. Although you would need to be quite rich to do that. It's quite pricey, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Quite. Uh, just a couple from my segment then. Lord Nerevar, Tories panicking that they're moving too far right. It's basically like if Labour were worrying about representing the workers too much. Well, they don't. No, you idiots. That's your entire purpose. Why do you think the electorate is blasting you in the polls right now? Um, Zuma Tiabu, go Bo. Be sad to see Epoch's end, but would be wor- well worth seeing Bo on the green benches grilling Sir Keir during PMQs. Well, actually, technically, Epoch's wouldn't have to end because you would come back to your constituencies during constituency surveys, so you'd be able to pop in over the weekend and film. I would still live here. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, I would... <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to win. obviously want to, but the polling doesn't suggest I would win. But if I did, I probably would still do Epoch's, and I'd do it for free as well. I would stop taking a salary. Because um, even though you're allowed, I believe you're allowed to, I just wouldn't want to take any outside money. Uh, I, would, I think I would still make an effort to do it. Well, I would definitely still make an effort to do it. So It's not too worry. late to move to South Swindon and vote Dade. I'm committed, I'm committed <laughs> to Epochs come hell or high water. Short of being hit by a bus, I'm going to keep doing Epochs. If Jacob Rees-Mogden do an 8 o'clock weeknight show on GB News, then Bo can do Epochs. Definitely. <laughs> uh, one last one. Kevin Fox. Young people can't find housing, so to fix it, we're going to take over 16,000 houses and give them to foreigners. Suppose it could be worse. You could be threatening pensioners with compulsory purchase orders. Yeah, exactly that. Josh? So, um, Brandon Fisher says, petition to rename the Windrush line to the Punch line. That's, that's quite clever, actually. Well, I, why aren't I getting it? The Punch line. Oh, in- oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> dad joke. Dad joke. I, I, I enjoyed like it. it. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. Clearly yeah. all the heat's gone to my head. <laughs> I like a good dad joke. Um, Ewan Baker says suffragettes were just bored rich women whose husbands were off to war. Yeah, usually they have affairs. They don't wreck the whole political system mm-hmm. of the country. And that could also make bombs, apparently. Yeah, well. Inshallah. Lest we forget. Funnily enough, there's been a, a resurgence in that, hasn't there? <laughs> Um, Omar Awad, I reckon we should name the lines based on quality. The worst line should be named Sadiq Khan line, so you remember who to blame. Ooh. Scathing as ever. What's that, central line? Or maybe Piccadilly? What's the one with all the bed bugs on? Victoria. Yeah, yeah. Victoria lines. But it goes to Brixton. Yeah, Victoria line. Yeah. Victoria line and Bakerloo line are both terrible, but I hate the central line most yeah. because it's always so packed. It's the deepest, which means it's the hottest. It's rickety. It's both the most packed and the hottest, so I hate it. Yeah. The overground section sounds like the bowels of a beast. Yeah, it's fundamentally unpleasant. Even Don't I know about over. it. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been hung over on the tube, and it is absolute hell. I've never been so close to throwing up. Like about six hours after I've woken up after a heavy night, as being on the tube after I think it was New Year's Eve. Even the seat coverings, day. if you did, they wouldn't have noticed. Yeah, well, probably improved the smell. In summer, on a hot day in summer. Uh, the central bit of the central line going through sort of Oxford Street is truly a sauna. It's not like a sauna. It is a sauna. And then you're packed in literally face-to-face scrunched up against people sometimes. And uh, uh, yeah, it's sometimes a bit hellacious. A bunch of my friends that live in London just cycle everywhere just because it's supposedly nicer, but then also you run the risk of getting crushed by lunatics on the road. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't want to cycle through central London, to be honest. Dangerous, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry, uh, 
you can uh, read some of your comments if you want, though. Okay. Where are we? Okay. Bo, I have an interview with Reform on Sunday as a possible MP candidate. It's far too early in this process for me to be planning heavily on success. However, I think our best chance is to make an appeal uh, to courage. That's what I tried to do a little earlier, yeah. Um, and, and to have a call to action to get people to speak to each other about reform in the real world. Yeah, great idea. Uh, there's no path through the legacy news media. It's time to go around them. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. Um, if you send me an, an email as to where you're standing and things, and we'll get in touch and we'll talk about that sort of stuff. Um, another one, Charles Francis says, um, I've done my best to like Lewis Hamilton, but he's just a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Um, on top of everything else, he actually comes across most of the time as very well-meaning, sort of softly spoken, uh, sort of benevolent. Um, so, but yeah, that's sort of, you scratch the surface and he's basically ACAB race baiting, right? I mean, there's no other way of... He didn't take the knee for murdered farmers in South Africa, did he? No. Who's the guy who was in... Who uh, the actor who died? Uh, Bose Chadwick. Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman. Boseman, yeah. yeah. Black Panther, yeah. Black Panther guy. So when he died that weekend, Lewis Hamilton, I think, got pole or won the race, and over the radio he shouted out, "You know, this one's for Chadwick." And it's like Chadwick Boseman said after the film was completed, he identified more with the villain, and the villain's plot is to arm all black people in America with space age weaponry to kill all white people. Lovely guy. He was mates with Lewis Hamilton. Um, another one um, from Bleach Demon. Lewis Hamilton is the Sadiq Khan of F1. Not that good, always looking to be rump hurt. <laughs> and turning F1 into the women's football of motorsport. Still waiting on Bo's history of rally. I'd say I'd do that. I would do that. I can't remember saying I'd that in? That's not Sir Walter rally, but rally cars. Yeah, right? rally cars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Got excited for a second. Uh, yeah. Talk about back in the eighties when they were sort of unrestricted, you know, crazy, crazy powerful. A dangerous. Aren't they? Um, yeah. Um, oh well, it looks like we're we're out of time there. Yep. Well, so back in half an hour for Calvin's Common Sense Crusade. Uh, please sign up to premium if you haven't already to catch that. Lads out tomorrow at three o'clock. We'll be sure to promote that again. Thanks very much, gents. Until next time. Goodbye.